الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والهادي إلى ثراتك المستقيم وعلى آله حق قدره ومقداره العظيم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته We welcome all of you to uh, our lessons on the Qasiratul Burda of Imam Al-Busiri rahimahullah ta'ala and Tonight, inshallah, we uh, study the seventh chapter of the, the Blessed Burda. We have completed, alhamdulillah, the sixth chapter, so that's more than half of the, the, the poem. And now we enter into the seventh chapter. So we are still busy with the miracles of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, mu'ajizatun nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And... We mentioned that Imam Busiri had a special chapter dedicated to his maulid, his birth, because that was a unique miracle on its own. And it wasn't just one miracle, but uh, a lot of things happened on the night of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, before the birth, during the birth, after the birth, related to the holy birth. So he dedicated a whole chapter to that. Thereafter, he dedicated a chapter to... Uh, all the other miracles, general miracles, extraordinary events that happened uh, with the Prophet ﷺ during his lifetime. And uh, he mentioned many of them. Of course, nobody can really encompass all of them. But he mentioned many of the famous miracles of the Prophet ﷺ that were witnessed by the Sahaba. Then he came to the greatest miracle, the everlasting miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, which is the Holy Qur'an. So he dedicated a whole chapter to that as well, because the Qur'an as a miracle, it stands on its own. And we were done by that, and the last line there was that, uh, don't be surprised at a jealous person uh, or a hater that wants to deny the Qur'an for the eyes may deny the light of the sun due to their blindness, and the tongue may deny the taste of honey due to its illness. So that's the last uh, line of the chapter on the, the Holy Quran. And now in chapter 7, he discusses yet another great uh, miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, something that deserves uh, a, a separate chapter of its own, a separate chapter of its own, which is the Isra and the Mi'raj of the Habib and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. So the Isra and the Mi'raj, what is the Isra and the Mi'raj? Uh, we all know about it, but in, in very brief, it's it's the, the night journey and the ascent of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Isra means the night journey. Sara is to travel in night. So uh, Isra means the night journey, and the Mi'raj means the ascent from Uruj. So Isra is from Sara, which is to travel in the night, and Mi'raj is from Uruj, which means the ascent, to ascend, to go up, to go up, right? This is the opposite of descend, which is to come down. So Isra and Mi'raj, the night journey and the ascent. Uh, why is it called that? Because uh, the Prophet ﷺ on that blessed night, perhaps the greatest night of his life, right? He was taken on a night journey from Makkah al-Mukarramah to uh, Al-Masjid al-Aqsa al-Mubarak, to Jerusalem, to Bayt al-Maqdis, uh, to the Masjid al-Aqsa. And that, that night travel happened in the night, right? He traveled in the night on the Burak with Jibreel alayhi salam. So it was a night trip. The whole thing was a night trip. And then, uh, of course, the night trip wasn't just the normal trip that we do like, which is like your horizontal uh, travel, which is just from going straight. Uh, it, there was also a journey in which you had to go up, upwards. And that's what's called the Mi'raj. That's why you, do, you don't just say the night journey, but to specify, uh, differentiate between a trip on earth and, and his, his trip to the heavens, you say Mi'raj, Isra and Mi'raj. So the Mi'raj also happened where he went upwards. And of course, he went on upwards and upwards and upwards beyond uh, all the seven heavens 
and uh, thereafter uh, he uh, he was taken on a tour a ziyara uh, a of the jannah of paradise at all its levels uh, he sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh, went to the end point of existence which is called sidratul muntaha yeah, if you know we may call it the ceiling of existence if we may in other words there's no existence after that uh, he was shown all the creatures of the heavens and the earth the angels the the, the souls of the prophets that came before him all these things uh, he was taken through time travel as well where he was shown the future uh, not in a dream but he was actually taken to the future uh, time travel and shown jannah jahannam with their people in them so it wasn't like he was shown jahannam but uh, there's nobody there yet which would be a situation right now he was shown jahannam in the future with all its inhabitants in it so uh, not only did he do time travel uh, forward uh, you know uh, he also went backwards in time travel so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was taken to a time when he mentioned hatta sami'tu sarir al-aqlam he said i was taken to a time where i could hear the writing of the pens the writing of the pens what is that referred to uh, the writing of the pens refers to when uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the destinies of mankind of creation to be written down right allah created the pen first of course we don't know the nature of that pen and so on it's not my pen or your pen uh, but uh, it's a metaphor for a tool or whatever was used to to write down the destinies of mankind in whatever format right we don't we don't know we don't know that right uh, so allah sallallahu alaihi today if you write uh, we can write a uh, in a notebook we can write with a pen with a pencil we can type on a phone uh, which is something complete there's no ink used in it for example when we write on a phone or a computer when you type there's no ink used uh, so there's so many formats that's that's with creation so what about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the point being is that information is being captured uh, and, and uh, written down so the prophet said in a hadith that the destinies of mankind were written by allah 50000 years before he created creation and that's a metaphor also because if creation was not there how do you even calculate 50000 years if there was no sun and moon so it's a metaphor eternally so he said 50000 years before creation was created destinies of mankind were written so the pen wrote the destinies the prophet sallam said on the night of the miraj i heard the writing of the pen subhanallah so, so what, what, where was he taken to? What time period? I mean, that's backwards now. So he was basically taken to the dawn of creation, to the right at the point when existence starts. And the plans are being made and written for existence. Right? If you build a house, you go back to the time where the house wasn't even there. Uh, just the plans were being designed. And then he also said that on that night, he was taken to Jannah and Jahannam and shown all their inhabitants which is basically the end of creation because after that i mean after everybody goes into jannah and everybody goes into jahannam there is no other uh, there's nothing else after that right that's the end so the prophet ﷺ was taken from the beginning of time to the end of time and then from be the beginning of space to the end of space from the dunya to the akhirah uh, uh, to the samawa to the jannah all of that and after the prophet ﷺ had the experience of all time and all space after he was done with that and honored from allah he was then granted the vision uh, and the experience of the creator of time and space allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of rabbul alameen so that's when he was granted that experience of rabbul alameen subhanahu wa ta'ala so uh, and the, which was then beyond time and beyond space beyond time and beyond space so uh, that experience then is an experience where you cannot quantify it or explain it in any way because it is beyond all time beyond all space beyond all understanding 
because that's Rabbul Alameen, the creator of time and space. Because when he manifests himself, then everything ceases to exist. Even the one seeing ceases to exist until nothing remains but Allah and that consciousness. So uh, anyways, this is the incident of the Mi'raj, Isra and the Mi'raj in a very brief I mean, uh, manner. Uh, it's important to know this before we actually read the chapter. Otherwise, the chapter won't make sense uh, if you don't know these, these things. Uh, uh, also, just to conclude on that, uh, the, according to most scholars, uh, the Isra and the Mi'raj took place in the 11th year of the Hijra, of the Bi'sa, of the Prophet of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, and the 11th year, and it was on the 27th of Rajab. According to most of the ulama, there is ikhtilaf on that as well, because at that time, they weren't really particular about dating, uh, putting dates and noting stuff, and they didn't have newspapers, they didn't have nothing of the sort. So their dating and their dates were quite uh, confusing and uh, difficult to determine. Okay, but according to most scholars, it happened in the 11th year of the prophethood, and the most probable date of it is the 27th of Rajab. So let's look at how Imam al Busiri uh, describes this amazing miracle of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Burda. So he says, Ya khayra man yamam al afuna sahatahu sa'yan wa fawqa mutun il aynu qir rusumi wa man huwa al ayatul kubra li mu'atabirin wa man huwa al ni'matul uzma li mu'atanimi Lovely. So <clears throat> he starts by saying, addressing the Prophet ﷺ himself. He says, Ya khayra man yamma mal'afuna sahatahu. O you, O the best of those whose courtyard is frequented by the seekers of divine bounty. O the best of those whose courtyard is frequented uh, by the seekers of divine bounty. Sa'yan, walking, arriving on foot, or riding on fast camels. So, uh, <clears throat> so Allah said, Muhammad, this is just a poetic address to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's addressing the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He doesn't mention the Mi'raj Isra here. He's going to do that in the, the in the next line, the line after the next line. So here he's just praising the Prophet. He says, "Oh, the he's, he's starting the address. He says, "Oh, the best of the ones whose courtyard is frequented by the seekers of divine bounty, walking and on the, the, the backs of camels." They all come to your courtyard, Ya Rasulullah, those who want to seek the bounty of Allah. People come walking to you, people come riding on camels. And that was in his day. Today, we can say they come flying on planes, they come driving on cars, and there are people who still come walking as well. Uh, and then he says, وَمَنْ هُوَ الْآيَةُ الْكُبْرَى لِمُعْتَبِرٍ And oh, he's still addressing the Prophet وسلم, and oh, who is Oh, who, oh, the one who is the greatest sign for the reflective person. And oh, you, who is the greatest sign for the reflective person. The Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he is the greatest sign of Allah for the, for the one who reflects, not for anyone uh, out there, but for the one who reflects. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, himself, is the greatest sign of Allah. That's why I always say the greatest miracle of the Prophet is the Prophet himself. People say the greatest miracle of the Prophet is the Quran. No, the Prophet, the greatest miracle of the Prophet is the Prophet himself. He was the greatest miracle. 
and then the Quran and everything else. So Allah said, Muhammad, oh you who is the greatest miracle, the greatest sign for the reflective person, he is the greatest sign of Allah. How do we, you know, comprehend the Nabiul Ummi, the, the unlettered prophet, didn't read and write, but such wisdom, such knowledge, such uh, enlightenment came from him, such eloquence. It's, it's beyond understanding how it can happen. How can a man in a desert produce something like that? It's a miracle. Not only produce the Quran, I mean, the Hadith, for example, the wisdom, and not only that, the Sahaba. How can a man in the desert produce such a generation of men, such a generation of amazing, outstanding men? The Sahaba عنهم, were the most outstanding generation that ever lived on the face of this earth. Both in their worldly and their spiritual achievements. I mean, you can't match them. How they conquered all the, everything around them. Yet with such mercy and such uh, spirituality. They weren't plunderers and looters and worldly people. It's amazing. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, during his time, the Muslims... Uh, conquered half the known world of the time, defeating the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire. Yet, he used to live like in a hut in, in the most uh, otherworldly conditions. As an ascetic, people would look at him from foreigners, non-Muslim, and think he's a beggar. How do you, how do, what kind of a personality is there? Who made him like that? How come Omar was controlling half the world of the time, but he used to wear one short soap, and, and uh, didn't have another one, and uh, used to live like an ascetic, like a mystic. No palace, no luxury, no nothing of the sort. Sleep in the mosque. It was the company, the sohbah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So imagine from that, the type of man Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. Because these were the Arabs who were the most luxurious, most debauched, most corrupt, most uh, sinful people on earth at that time. And look what he did to them. So Rasulullah himself is a mu'jizah, is a miracle in himself. What he did, what he achieved, historically speaking, uh, I'm not talking about mythical stuff here, historical facts. It's uh, really uh, as uh, one of the, uh, the English uh, historians and writers, Carlyle said, we may as we may as we might as well ask, was there a man greater than Muhammad? He wrote about the Prophet Carlyle in a book called Heroes and Hero Worship. Heroes and Hero Worship. It's from the 19th century. And he wrote about the Prophet Muhammad there also. And he wrote that from all uh, standards by which we measure human greatness, Muhammad surpasses all others, all the other heroes he mentioned in his book, which are not Muslim, obviously. He said, Muhammad surpasses all others by the standards in which human greatness can be measured. Muhammad surpasses everyone else. And then he says later, we might as well ask, was there a man greater than him? And this is coming from a man who's not a Muslim. He doesn't have any religious attachment to the Prophet ﷺ. He's just an objective historian. That was in the 19th century, England. In the 20th century, you had a man called uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Hart. Michael Hart uh, from the USA. And he wrote a book called The Hundred. The Hundred. And this book, The Hundred, uh, again, it's a book in which he uh, wanted to uh, write about the hundred most influential men that ever lived on the face of this earth. You know about Newton and you know about, you know, Marx and all these people whose ideologies kind of affected uh, or achievements or inven inventions as well uh, influenced millions of people on this earth. Right? I mean, he, he, he died before Bill Gates. Otherwise, he would have mentioned Bill Gates because everyone is using Microsoft Word today. Right? We're all using it. So he might make it to the list. 
you know and uh, so Allah sallallahu alaihi Muhammad but who influenced mankind and uh, you know so he in that list he mentioned Sayyidina Mawlana Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam as number one the first one he put the Prophet sallallahu as first in that list and he wrote in the introduction to the book that I know people are going to think I've been paid by the Arabs to do this. He said, I think people are going to think now they're going to accuse me. The Arabs paid you millions of petrodollars to put Muhammad first. And seriously, first of all, the Arabs are not interested in that. I wish that they would do something like that. They would spend millions on honoring the Prophet. They don't. Their money is spent in some other things, the Arab kings and princes, not to honor the Prophet. Uh, but... Uh, he wrote, he said, people might think I've been paid. And he replied that uh, that's just, uh, they can think whatever they want. Nobody has paid me for this. This is my honest opinion. He said, this is my honest opinion. And then he provided the reasons why he felt Muhammad وسلم, deserves to be the first person on that list. He said, because since Muhammad's time وسلم, for 1400 years, no human being has influenced mankind to such at such a scale and such a level uh, like the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Firstly, the, the, the quantity of that influence is that it's millions and millions and millions, I mean, billions of people for 1400 years. That's the quantity of the influence, which who in turn influence everybody else on earth because the Muslims, uh, Islam uh, influenced uh, Christendom, it influenced the Hinduism lands, India, and all. It influenced the Jewish lands. There's no nation or culture, Africa. Uh, there was no land, Europe. You know, there was no part of Earth where the where the Muslims didn't have an impact. In whatever way you want to take it. So uh, they, they shaped the civilization of the whole world in that way. So he says, quantity-wise, Muhammad Sallam influenced millions and millions of people continuously for 1400 years and quality wise the impact of his influence was uh, it wasn't minor it was deep deep influence he influenced people in a most deep manner that that millions of people would try to shape their entire life around his example from the way they dress to the way they walk to the way they sleep to where they, they brush their teeth to the to the way they comb their hair uh, to, to the prayers they say every day, to, they imitate, they try to imitate Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam in everything. They name their children Muhammad. It is the most popular name on earth, right? So uh, he said he mentioned all that. I don't want to go into that whole book thing, but I'm explaining Imam al Busiri's statement: "Waman huwa ayatul kubra and you, Ya Rasulullah, are the greatest sign. For whoever reflects. So I want us to reflect. So we understand how he is the greatest sign of Allah. So Allah quality wise, quality wise, he's the greatest of all people. Uh, and we don't need Michael Hart or Thomas Carlyle to prove it. Well, as far as us, that is our Iman and Aqeedah. Uh, the best one to walk on earth. As Busayri said in his other poem, the Muhammadiyah, Muhammadun. He says, Muhammad is the master, the greatest of the Arabs and the non-Arabs. And Muhammad is the greatest to walk on the face of this earth with his feet. So we believe that, but I'm quoting these other personalities, these uh, non-Muslim, uh, you know, objective scholars, uh, so that you know we know that it's not just iman; it, it's it's a fact. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the greatest of all people. Then he says, "Waman huwa naamatul uzmani muhtanimi," and oh, who is the greatest blessing for those who wish to benefit? And he, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is the greatest blessing. To anybody who wishes to benefit from him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you can get him in your life, there is no greater benefit that can come in your life than that. That is the greatest of all benefits. Uh, 
nothing else. You can't get anything uh, greater than that, alayhi salatu wasalam, in your life. He is the ni'matul uzma. And Allah, he's such a blessing that Allah himself said in the Quran, Allah mentioned many blessings and favors in the Quran, but when he mentioned the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, he said, uh, Indeed, your Lord has done a favor on the believers. Allah says, I did a favor on you by sending my prophet to you. So even Allah himself is telling us, I did a favor on you by sending Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to you. And Allah says, And we have sent you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as a mercy, as a mercy for the entire creation, for entire existence, for the entire world, for the whole universe, as a mercy for the universe. So he is the greatest of all benefits. Woman who will a ni'matul kubra, ni'matul uzma, so after addressing the Prophet in these beautiful terms, he then says, now describing the Mi'raj, the Isra, first the Isra. He says that Indeed, Ya Rasulullah, you travel by night from one haram to another haram. Just like the full moon travels through intense darkness. Okay? So, you travel by night, Ya Rasulullah, Sarayta, Min haramin ila harami from one haram to another haram. What is the meaning of haram? It means sacred space. Haram means sacred space. It is derived from haram, which means forbidden. Forbidden, right? Haram is forbidden. But when you when you use that for a space, it's a, it's a haram space. It's a forbidden space, which means a haram, which means a sacred space. You're not allowed to violate it. So you, you traveled in the night, Ya Rasulullah, from one sacred space to another sacred space, from one haram to another haram, which is the haram of Makkah to the haram of the Aqsa, from Hijaz to Palestine, to Palestine. And that's what Allah says in the Quran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhanallahi Allah says, Glory be to the one who took his servant in the night, from the, the sacred mosque of Makkah to the sacred mosque of the Aqsa, so that we may show him our signs, and he is the all seeing and the all hearing. Uh, so Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Imam Busiri mentions this night journey, but he then uh, beautifully uh, gives it the metaphor or uh, describes it in a beautiful way, saying that, and you traveled in the night, Ya Rasulullah, like the full moon travels in a dark night. So your presence in the heavens and the skies was like the full moon shining in the dark night. Naam. And you continued ascending. You continued ascending until you reached the station. Of only two bows length. Indeed, in, in the divine presence, Indeed, a station never before reached, nor even sought. A station that has never, ever, never before been reached, not, not even, nor even sought. Not nobody even, you know, sought or seeking this station. Which is what station is that? The station of proximity, closeness to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, where He was, as the Holy Quran says. Two, bow, two bows length from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Two bows length. Now the Arabs, they used to, the two bows length is not real. It's metaphorical. 
The Arabs used to say two bows length. He was so close to me, uh, closer than the two bows length. And this referred to the closest you can be to a person. Because they used to take out their bow and you take out your bow and the two bows they meet. Right? That used to be as close as you can be to another human being. Two bows length. So the term used by Allah in the Holy Quran for the proximity of the Prophet وسلم, to Allah himself on that night was two bows length. In fact, the Quran said more than that. Or even more than that. Even more than that. Which is then, you know, beyond our understanding. If you want to even go into the meaning of even more than that. What exactly happened on that night between Allah and his Prophet? And of course, remember, the proximity to Allah is not a physical proximity. Allah is not another human being that, or a creation that, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm a kilometer away from Allah. I'm a few meters away. I'm a few centimeters away from Allah. It's not like that. It's a spiritual proximity of the tajalli, uh, the manifestation of Allah within you and without you. Uh, and you cannot be more closer to Allah than what you are already. From a physical point of view, if you want to look at it like that, you can't be closer than what you already are. Uh, but it is the realization and the manifestation of that reality of Allah in you. That is the how close or how not close you are. If you are completely away from Allah, then you are so far away from him, even though he's present right there. Uh, while it's like this, uh, if I may give a simple example, again, you know, it's difficult to apply to Allah, but uh, let's say your, 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 your mother, for example, lives in, a, uh, in another country. So uh, in your mind, your mother is very, very far away. She's in another country. But Let's say she came, she came to you, to your place, at, for a surprise visit, and uh, she's inside your actual room. She's actually standing behind you, right? Just again, and it's an example to make us kind of understand, although we cannot apply it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And she's standing right behind you, so she is like right behind you. She's so close to you. But because you do not know that, you don't know that. So you, be, you still think she's somewhere thousands of miles away in another continent, in another country. And you want to call her and you call your mother and you're trying to connect. And so the situation here is that she's actually right next to you, but you don't see it. You don't see it. So in your mind, she's far away. Now, in a way, that is how we are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, min warid. Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein. But in our minds, he's very far away. We think he's far away. Many people think uh, he's millions of miles away. Allah is an, like another creature that lives in another continent or another, I don't know what uh, dimension. Or, so they have this physical understanding where they give jiha to Allah a direction. And uh, that is, you know, no, that's, that's just not true. That's all against Tawheed. And that's why we need to understand Tawheed and we need to understand Ma'rifah. Tawheed you learn from the Aqidah and Ma'rifah you learn from the Sufis to understand how proximate we are with Allah in reality. And what exactly does it mean when you say coming closer to Allah? When you say, I want to get closer to Allah, what does that mean? Is it a physical thing? You know, Are we going to say Neil Armstrong you know, was closer to Allah than all of us because he was on the moon? No. The Prophet said, the closest you are to Allah is in your sujood, in your sajda, when your head is on the ground. So anyways, uh, the proximity of the Prophet to Allah on that night was the, the most proximate any human can be in their experience of Allah, which is of two bows and even more. It is a proximity that Imam Busari says that nobody ever attained such a station before and nobody even tried to attain it. And then he mentions about uh, what happened in the Masjid al-Aqsa. And all the prophets and they forwarded you, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in there in the Masjid al-Aqsa, all the prophets 
forwarded you, Ya Rasulullah. They put you, uh, they gave precedence to you, they put you forward, Ya Rasulullah. All the prophets and the messengers, like a, a master presides over servants. Not that he is the master and like they are servants of him in that sense, but although they all served his mission, but in similar to how servants uh, put a master forward or how the master presides over all you know the the servants that's how uh, that's uh, the example of how the prophet وسلم, was put ahead of everyone else all the prophets on that night and that's when he went into the masjid al-aqsa he saw all these people praying there and he didn't know them and he asked jibril السلام, he said who are these people ya jibril what's going on here and jibril said uh, these are all the prophets, Ya Rasulullah, and he like pointed to some of them and said, this is Moses and this is Jesus and this is Noah. Not all of them, but a few of them. And the Prophet also stood up to perform the two rak'ats, you know, the tahiyyatul masjid, because the salah was already there. Some people think the salah was taught to the Prophet on the night of the Isra and the Mi'raj. No, the salah was not taught to him on that night. The salah was taught to him the same day after he received the Quran in the month of Ramadan, Laylatul Qadr. 27th night of Ramadan, he received the Holy Quran that night in Ghar Hira, in the cave of Hira with Jibreel. The next morning, Jibreel salam, taught him how to pray. Two rak'at and the Surah Al-Fatiha. So the Salah was there already. They used to pray. Uh, what did, what was given to him on the night of the Isra in the Mi'raj was the prescription of performing five prayers a day, right? In the famous story, of how the 50, how they were originally 50, and then they were brought down to five. So Allah uh, Sayyidina Muhammad. So when he 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 also made two rakat in the masjid there, and then a call was made a salah to jamia that everybody needs to uh, gather for prayer. So everybody in the masjid then gathered in in in, in safs, in um, lines, in rows to pray. And now everybody's looking, you know, who's going to lead? Somebody needs to go forward and lead. And Jibreel السلام, held the hand of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and put him forward and said, lead, O Muhammad, for you are the imam, the leader of all of them. And they all said, yes, 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 to the Prophet وسلم, being ahead of all of them. Although he's the last prophet, he's the youngest prophet. He came after all of them. He is their leader and imam. So that's an honor that was given to him, Imam al-Anbiya wa al-Mursaleen. وَأَنْتَ تَخْتَرِقُ الصَّبْعَ الطِّبَاقَ بِهِمْ فِي مَوْكِبٍ كُنْتَ فِيهِ صَاحِبِ الْعَلَمِ And then after that, the Prophet ﷺ went through the seven heavens. And in each of those heavens, all the malaika were welcoming him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also made it that he took from those prophets who had gathered in the Aqsa, the souls of those prophets, because oh, they all had like died before long, thousands of years ago, but they were spiritually alive, the spiritual alive. He gathered them, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also uh, brought some of them into each level of the heavens to welcome the Prophet there. Why? It's because the Prophet, so the Prophet is a human being, so he's going through territory that no human being has ever went. And he's seeing creatures that no human being has ever seen. So it can be a little bit overwhelming. So to make the Prophet ﷺ feel welcome or feel a little bit at ease, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made uh, for each of those levels of the heavens, the seven heavens, the seven levels of the Samawat, Allah made a Prophet wait at the door of each of those levels to welcome our Prophet ﷺ. So at Adam السلام, at the first level, and then you know Idris السلام, at the second level, and then Nuh السلام, at the third level, and Yusuf السلام, at the fourth level, and uh, Musa السلام, at the fifth level, and um, you know uh, Yahya السلام, you know at the sixth level, and Isa السلام, at the, the 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 sorry Ibrahim السلام, at the highest level, and, and then so you know um, uh, you know the 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 tertib of that is you'll find it in the in the books, uh, but. There was a prophet at each of those levels to welcome the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, so that he 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 says a human being as well there. So he says, and indeed, Ya Rasulullah, and indeed you 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 
penetrated and passed through the seven heavens in a grand convoy of which you were the standard bearer. You were the standard bearer of the convoy that went through the heavens with all the angels and the prophets, and you were the main person in that. So it's describing the journey of the Prophet to the heavens. And then you left no summit for anyone who wishes to compete in proximity to Allah. And you left no room for anyone who seeks to ascend to his presence. Uh, uh, you know, so he says, Ya Rasulullah, you reached a level then on that night that leaves no place for any competitor. You know that you went so far on that night, you went to such a position on that night that nobody can ever reach and nobody can ever try to compete with you or outrun you in that. You went so far, Ya Rasulullah, on that night. Nobody can go beyond you. Nobody can even reach where you reach, let alone go beyond you. He says, you made every position, Ya Rasulullah, seem low compared to your position. So all positions that Allah granted to all the prophets, all the saints, the anbiya, the awliya, they were all granted great, high, lofty positions. Uh, in Allah's, Allah's uh, presence. But Imam Busuri said, what you got on that night, Ya Rasulullah, what you received on that night, you make every position after that look like low and, you know, compared to your position. And when you were positioned, when you were summoned to the position of elevation like Al-Mufrad Al-Alam, uh, Al-Mufrad Al-Alami refers to, in the Arabic language, when a singular noun Okay, so uh, a singular noun as Mufrad al-Alam in the Arabic language is usually uh, written in the form which is called marfu'. Marfu'a means literally means elevated. The the technical meaning in, in the in the linguistics is to write it with a bamma. When you write a letter with a bamma, rajulun jamilun, you know that's called marfu', right? Rather than rajulan jamilan which is uh, mansub. Uh, so with the Bamma and Marfu, so the Mufrad al-Alam, the singular noun, is always Marfu, with a Bamma, but literally Marfu means elevated. So he says, indeed you were elevated on that night, Ya Rasulullah by Allah, like al-Mufrad al-Alam, like the singular noun. And again, the singular noun is referring to Rasulullah singular status and uniqueness amongst all of creation. And indeed, Allah says, Ya Rasulullah, we have raised up for you your, your, your rank, your remembrance. We have raised you up, Ya Rasulullah. So, so that you may attain a station veiled from all eyes and a secret so hidden. Uh, and you may attain a station veiled from all eyes and a secret so well hidden and concealed. So that you, why? You were raised up so high, Ya Rasulullah, so that you may attain a, a station, a maqam that is veiled from all eyes. It's the vision, that's uh, the proximity the, and the manifestation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a secret that is so well hidden and concealed because it's a secret uh, nobody can talk about. Nobody can. No, nobody can reveal. Even the Prophet himself didn't reveal it. When the Sahaba asked him, "Did you see Allah?" He says, anna ara. He said, "It's just light, light, nur ala nur." You know, what do I see, or how do I see him? Or uh, he gave an answer which is, you know, very secretive because there's no way you can explain it to others. You have to experience it yourself. And then he says, فَحُزْتَ كُلَّ فَخَارٍ غَيْرَ مُشْتَرِكٍ وَجُزْتَ كُلَّ مَقَامٍ غَيْرَ مُزْدَحَمِينَ And thus, Ya Rasulullah, you acquired every honor. كُلَّ فَخَارٍ Fakhar is from Fakhr, which means pride. Right? Fakhr means pride. 
Fakhruddin means the pride of the deen. That is the meaning, you know, of the name. Fakhar is pride. They said, indeed, you acquired such pride and such honor. Unrivaled. Unrivaled. Nobody, nobody achieved anything like this. No, not Jesus, not Moses. You know, Musa salam, went to the mountain. Not He didn't go into the heavens and the skies and all of that. He just went to a mountain and said, Ya Allah, I want to see you. The same mountain where he used to speak to Allah, but he couldn't see Allah. He said, Ya Allah, I want. He asked to see Allah. And the answer was, Lan tarani. No, you're not going to see me. Not only you're not going to see me, you cannot see me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Musa salam, that I will manifest my jalal, my jamal to the mountain. Look at the mountain. I will manifest my jalal and jamal to that mountain. And if that mountain stays in its place, then maybe you can see me. A glimpse of me. Uh, Allah said, but when your Rabb manifested himself through the mountain, just a glimpse of the tajalli of Allah, the entire mountain was split asunder. Mountain was split asunder. And Musa salam fainted. Narration says that he stayed like that for 40 days. For 40 days. He asked to see, and he was said no. Rasulullah didn't even ask. Rasulullah was sleeping in the house of Umhani, his cousin, his elder sister, because he grew up with Umhani, is the daughter of Abu Talib. And he grew up with her like a big sister. So she was a married woman, and he was staying, uh, sleeping in, in, in her room, uh, in her home, where she had a room for him, the guest room, and he used to sometimes go sleep there. And he was sleeping there after the incident of five where the people had beaten him وسلم, and attacked him, and, and the Quraysh of Makkah had, uh, had called for his life. They wanted to kill him. So he didn't sleep in his own house. Umhani said, come sleep in my place. You know, it's safer. So he was sleeping there. And Allah himself called him for the witnessing and the vision. So look at the difference between the talib and the matloob, the muhib and the mahboob, between somebody who seeks and somebody who is seeked. Somebody who asks and somebody who is asked for. And somebody who wants to visit you and somebody who you call to visit you. That's the difference between a lover and a beloved. Everybody claims to love, but who is the beloved? The Arabs they say, Everybody claims to love Layla, like a beautiful woman, uh, has many lovers. Uh, but Layla doesn't approve of any of them. She doesn't approve of any of those so-called lovers. Right? So only the one she approves of, that is the real one. That's the beloved. So our Prophet ﷺ was not just a lover of Allah. He was also the mahboob, the beloved of Allah. The beloved of Allah. So, so he said, Ya Rasulullah, you reached you attained, you acquired an honor unrivaled, and you traversed all levels غير مزدحمي unparalleled. وجزت كل مقام غير مزدحمي And you went through every maqam, every rank and station and level unparalleled. Unparalleled because nobody else went there at all. And we know this is even better than Adam Ali Salam. Adam Ali Salam was in Jannah, but he was sent down to the earth. And Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu was on earth and taken up to Jannah. So sublime were the ranks granted to you. Sublime were the ranks granted to you, Ya Rasulullah. Jalla, great were the ranks, the miqdar. Uh, the value uh, of the ranks that were granted to you and incomprehensive as the idraku it's so difficult to comprehend idrak is to comprehend as the idraku it's incomprehensible were the blessings bestowed upon you Naam. and incomprehensible were the blessings 
bestowed upon you on that night. Ni'ami, ni'ami is the plural of ni'ma. So incomprehensible were the ni'mas that were given to you on that night, Ya Rasulullah. And one of those ni'mas is the five prayers that were given to us that to pray. They were originally 50 uh, because, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that that's 50 times. Let them pray me, worship me 50 times a day. And the Prophet when he came back, uh, he met Musa salam in one of those heavens. Musa salam wanted to know, Ya, ya Rasulullah, Ya Muhammad, what happened? Tell me what happened between you and Allah. Share some of that knowledge with me. And the Prophet told him about the prayers. And Musa salam said, No, that is too much, Ya Rasulullah. Ya Muhammad, that's too much. Uh, you know, my nation was given three prayers and they couldn't even do that. So how are they, the Arabs going to do 50? Make Ask Allah to make it less. So the Prophet asked Allah for less. And it will make to 45. And Musa said, still, it's too much. And we went to 40 and 35 and 30. And 25 and 20. And 20 to 15 to 10 to 5. Musa salam said, even 5 is too much. I have 3 and the Bani Israel can't do it. They struggle with it. So the Prophet said, I am shy. To tell my Rabb that my Ummah cannot even pray five times a day. And this is a reflection for us. For those of us who miss the five prayers. Said, so I'm shy to tell Allah that my Ummah cannot even pray five times a day. I cannot tell Allah no, they can't do that. They can do that. Let them do that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Therefore five it shall be, but they will get the reward of 50. Now here a lot of people have problems. Not a lot of people. But a few people nowadays, you know, who think they are very clever, uh, uh, you know, have a, in the sense that they're cleverer than the hadith of the Prophet when, when the authentic hadith of the Prophet mentions this story, they think, no, we know better. Uh, and say, uh, didn't Allah know that uh, it's supposed it's going to be five, right, in the end? So why did Allah give 50? Doesn't Allah know already it's going to be five? How can you play this game? Allah gives you 50 and make it less, and then when it comes to 55 in the end, that doesn't make any sense. Now, in reality, what they are saying makes no sense. Because if everything Allah does was based on the final result of what's going to happen, He actually wouldn't have to do anything. Why? Then we can, in the same manner, one could ask, why did Allah send the Prophet Muhammad to Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab? and the kuffar of Makkah, when Allah already knows that they're going to be kuffar, they were not going to accept Islam, and they're going to hellfire. Right? So why did Allah put the Prophet through all that trouble to call them to Islam and all that? If they all, Allah already knows that they're going to Jahannam. Right? In fact, why did Allah create me and you if he already knows what's going to happen to us in the Akhirah? We're going to Jahannam or Jannah. Why don't he just put us there right now? So the idea that uh, why did Allah uh, uh, do give 50 when you know it's five is silly. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does things in a certain way. Uh, it is for us, not for him. He already knows the end result of everything. Why did Allah even take him on the mi'raj? Then Allah could have prescribed the five prayers to him in his house in Makkah. Why in the mi'raj? So uh, it is because the Prophet wondered when he was with Allah, Ya Allah, I am gaining this proximity with you. How can my ummah attain the same proximity? And the prayer was given that, Ya Rasulullah, when they pray, I am in front of them. Now, ulama mentioned the reason for the 50 to 5 is that the 50 is there to tell us what Allah deserves. Allah doesn't deserve these just five prayers from us. He deserves 50 and 100 and 50,000. But it's been made down as a five as a mercy from Allah. And secondly, that Allah will still reward us for 50 prayers. So for each prayer, we get 10 times more reward. So Allah said that the number of prayers has changed, but the reward has not changed. So you still going the number of hours you work has gone down, but the pay will remain the same. Subhanallah. So it is just to show us the mercy of Allah. Now, somebody else uh, said, it's like, why, do, why does Allah have the day of judgment then? I, I asked such people. Allah already knows who's going where. So why does he have the whole trial and the qiyamah and all that? Right? It's a procedure. Now, another person said, okay, but it's not right that the Prophet doesn't accept the will of Allah and argues with Allah. 
no, I don't want 50, I want uh, 40, I don't want 40, I want. Again, that's a silly question. There's nothing wrong in requesting mercy from Allah. There is nothing wrong in requesting leniency from Allah. It is disrespect to do that if you are doing it for yourself. But the Prophet was not doing it for himself. We know that he used to make more, a hundred rakahs every day. Uh, much more, I mean, a whole night in prayer. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for his ummah. And it's part of his job as a prophet to fight for his ummah, to be concerned about his ummah, to ask for his ummah. That's part of his job. So to say, uh, it's, no, it's disrespectful. How can the prophet tell Allah, I don't want 50? He didn't say it like that. First of all, I don't want it. He took it. But he requested from Allah on behalf of his ummah, who he is responsible for. It's his job to be merciful to them, to care about his ummah. That's what makes him a good Nabi. Uh, he requested Allah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is willing to be more lenient on his ummah, and make it less. And make it less. It's a leniency. And he did it on the night of the Isra and the Mi'raj because he was in that position of being the special guest of Allah. But when you are a guest, you have certain privileges of asking certain things that you may not be able to ask in other times. But if you are a guest, you can, you know, ask whatever you want. So he used that privilege, alayhi salatu wasalam, uh, on that night, not for his own pleasure, but for the convenience of his ummah. And that's what makes him our beloved and Allah's beloved. And that's what makes him who he was. Allah himself refers to that. Uh, a prophet has come to you from yourselves. He, uh, your, your suffering hurts him. It hurts him to see you suffer. Harisun alaykum. And he's very concerned about your well-being. And he is most compassionate and merciful to the believers. So what happened was a reflection of that ayah of the Holy Quran. It was just his compassion for the ummah, his mercy for the ummah, his concern for the well-being of the ummah. His fear for the suffering of the Ummah. Imagine if they had, we had to do 50 prayers and we weren't doing it. He would worry, he, he worried about that. So that's the story of the, 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 the prayer. I just wanted to highlight some things about it because, you know, nowadays people want to question everything, even if it's in Sahih Hadith. And then in the last two lines, he says, Bushra lana al-islami inna lana min al-inayati ruknan munhadimi. Glad tidings to us. Bushra means glad tidings. Good news. Congratulations. Bushra Alana. Congratulations to us. O people of Islam. We have indeed. We have gained from divine compassion. We have gained. From divine compassion. An undestructible pillar. An undestructible. Uh, pillar. So Allah. In his divine compassion. Has given us a pillar. That cannot be destroyed. A pillar of strength. A pillar of pillar of strength that nothing can destroy that pillar. Now, who is that pillar of strength that Allah gave us, that the divine providence provided to us, for which Imam Busari congratulates the Muslims? He said, Congratulations, Umar of Islam. You have from Allah a pillar of strength that nobody can destroy. That pillar is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is our pillar of strength. So Imam Busari says, Congratulations. You have that pillar of strength behind you, or Ummah, or in front of you, your Ummah, that nobody can destroy. He's our protector. He's our intercessor. On that day, he not only interceded for the prayers to be brought down from 50 to 5, to make our worldly life easier. Imagine if you had 50 prayers, how would, our, how would we function in our lives? But he also asked Allah on that day to, to be given the right to intercede for us on the day of judgment, in the Akhirah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the intercession. He said, Ya Rasulullah, you can do the shafa'ah for them on the day of Qiyamah. You take as many as you want with you into Jannah and save them from hellfire. Because he said he had just seen Jahannam. And he said, Ya Allah, my only request from you on this night is that you spare my ummah from the fire of Jahannam. I don't want them to enter this place, any of them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the shafa'ah, the intercession. said, Ya Rasulullah, on that day, my Habib, you intercede for whoever you want from them. So the Prophet ﷺ cared about us in the dunya. He cared about us in the akhirah. That is why he is our ruknan ghayra munhadimi. He is our pillar, that indestructible, invincible pillar. That Who gave us that pillar? Allah gave us that pillar. So that's why Imam Busari says, glad tidings to you, uh, O Ummah of Islam. And then in the last line in this chapter, 
he says lamma da'allahu da'ina li ta'atihi and indeed when allah summoned our caller to him our caller to him is who the prophet sallallahu because he is our caller to allah towards allah so he says the prophet is our caller to allah but allah was the caller of the prophet on that night so the prophet calls us to allah but allah called the prophet to himself on that night so he says when Allah called our caller to him towards his presence on that night, the Akram Rusli Kunna Akram al Umami, through the greatest of the prophets, we became the greatest of all nations. Through the most honorable of the prophets, we became the, the, the most honorable of nations. The Akram Rusli, through the most noblest of prophets, because Allah gave him that nobility on that night, that honor. Because of his nobility, because of his honor, we became the most honored of all people. It's like, again, to, to the very simple example, if your dad, if we are kids, and if your dad is given, you know, the highest, you know, prize, the Nobel Prize, or he's made a, a knighted as a sir, uh, he's given that greatest prize in the land. All you kids are honored, right? When you go to school tomorrow, you are so pro my dad. You, did you did you guys all watch my dad on TV last night? He was given the Nobel Prize. He was he won the gold medal in the Olympics. He he was knighted. So the honor of the children follows the honor of the father. They are all honored every because of what happened to their father. So he says because the honor of the Ummah is the honor of the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So when Allah honored the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam on that night with such honor, it made us all of all of us honored to be his Ummah. Through him, through him being the greatest, we became the greatest. Because the followers of the greatest are the greatest. Bi akram rusli kunna, akram al umami. Indeed, we were the most honorable of all uh, nations. And I want to conclude by mentioning that uh, the, because it is tonight is the 21st night of Ramadan, uh, it is one of the nights of Laylatul Qadr, potential nights. Uh, and part of the honor that Allah gave to this ummah above other nations is that Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. The Prophet read in a hadith once, uh, sorry, in a hadith, but he read, not even read, uh, excuse me, he was inspired by Allah from the knowledge Allah gave him, that in the previous nations, I think in the Jewish nation, there was a man who dedicated himself to worship for 80 years. So for 80 years, continuously, he worshipped Allah. He stayed in a room, he only worshipped. He would maybe take a break to eat or to go to the toilet. But other than that, he did nothing but worship. So when the Prophet read that, uh, sorry, uh, learned that, learned that from Allah, he was very sad that that man will beat my ummah because my ummah, their average ages are from 60 to 70, as he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that. The average age of my ummah is 60 to 65, and that's it. So how is my ummah ever going to compete with a man like that? And then Jibreel alayhi salam came and revealed to him, Inna anzallahu fi laylatul qadr wa ma adraka ma laylatul qadr. Laylatul qadri khayrun min alfi shahar. Indeed, we have revealed it, the holy book, Ya Rasulullah, upon you, on the night of value. Laylatul qadr means the night of value. Like people say the night of power, but it's not the night of, it's not laylatul qudra, the night of power, it's laylatul qadr. Qadr means value, right? And they didn't value Allah, what his value really was. So we have revealed it on the, the night of value. What do you know? And the address is not just to the Prophet, it's actually to the Ummah. What do you know, O Ummah? What is the Laylatul Qadr? Laylatul Qadr is greater than 1,000 months. So 1,000 months is 83 years. In other words, whoever, uh, Jibreel said, Ya Rasulullah, whoever worships from your ummah, whoever worships on that night, they will get the reward of worshipping, not for 80 years like that Jewish man, but 83 years in one night. And guess what? He did it in one lifetime. They will get this night every year of their life. They're going to get this chance every year. So that's how this ummah is the most honorable of all ummahs. So we get one night in which we can outdo what people in other nations, it took them 80 years to do, we can do outdo them in one night. And we get that night every year as well. Subhanallah. That's how this ummah is the akramul, as, as he said here, 
bi akramir rusli kunna akramul umami as busairi said through the greatest of the the most honorable the greatest of the prophets we became the greatest of nations may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make us worthy of that honor and make us live up to that honor of being the greatest nation uh, so we become the pride and the coolness of the eyes of the beloved prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we don't become a disappointment to him alayhi salatu wasallam and maybe grant through the barakah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam may allah make us uh, attain the laylatul qadr and be from those who are forgiven on that night man farima khairah farima khaira kullah the prophet sallallahu said the one who's deprived of the blessings of that of that night has been deprived of all blessings uh, and the one who gains it he has gained everything so may allah make us gain it in these tonight is the first of those nights may allah make us gain it ya rabbal alamin bijahi sirri maqami rutbati rasulillah sallallahu alaihi for the sake of the honor of his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam allahumma salli ala sayyidina muhammad al-fatih lima awalak wal khatim lima sabaq asr al-haqq bil haqq al-hadi ila siratik al-mustaqim wa ala alihi haqq qadrihi wa miqdarihi al-azim subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun salamun ala al-mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin Barakallahu feekum.